Well, good morning. All right. Two weeks left. Well, this Sunday, next Sunday, our last Sundays in Romans. Can you believe it? (laughs) This has been an amazing book, which we started out in chapter one saying, I am unashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Now, this morning, what did we just sing? I believe. (laughs) I believe, right? We sang it. We sang, I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Father, this, in the Holy Spirit, and, and that we've been called to this new family. And that's, that's the message of Romans, right? That this good news of Jesus has rescued us from our sin, from our, our brokenness, our selfishness, our, our desires, our passions that have, have gone astray. And, and we are now called children of God's as we have been brought into the family. In Romans chapter 8, we are now called children no longer slaves but children and this message of of being made sons and daughters of God by the grace of Jesus Christ results in what a life of love (laughs) what we just sang Romans 12 all the way to where we're going through today is all about love the 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 Christian life is marked by love and if you read through Romans it's unmistakable that the call of gospel is a call to love And uh, what a rich thing that we're going to look at this morning because um, Paul is going to be modeling what this means, this transformation of Jesus looks like in his life. And and we need models, amen? Don't we need models? I, I think of my own parents and I think of many other people who modeled things for me, taught me things. Just this past weekend, uh, someone helped me build a, a, a wall, put some cement together and, and modeled it for me and showed me and then let me do it. So modeling is something that we need. And so this life of transformation, we don't do it alone. We have people around us who are being transformed by Jesus, who are, are called to follow Jesus unashamed And we get to see the work of God in their lives. And we get to see it in our own lives together. And so Paul is going to be, in a sense, modeling before us what this transformation of Jesus has looked like in his own life. If we look back last week, we, in Romans chapter 15, we looked at Paul's call to share the good news of Jesus with others. And his particular call was to go to places where it had never been shared before, where it had never been heard before. And what a cool thing the Spirit did by bringing James here last week, where we heard about missionaries, 30 of them, that we are supporting who are taking the gospel in India to places where it has never been heard before. Wow. We are living the work of God in our generation, in our day, just as Paul was in his day. The work of God continues, and we're part of that. Today, we're going to be looking at a little more of how Paul sees the gospel transforming his life in three areas, in relationships, in giving, and in prayer. In relationships, giving, and prayer. So would you stand with me as we're going to read in chapter starting 15, verse 23, and it will be on the screen if you open your Bibles. And we're just going to read through verse 33, even though we're going to be looking at all the way to verse 23 of chapter 16. But we're only going to read together uh, through uh, chapter 15. But now there is no more place for me to work in these regions. 
And since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and that you will assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it. Indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So that after I've completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. You may be seated. So I got to confess, the real reason I'm not going to read all the way through chapter 16 is I don't want to mispronounce all the names <laughs> in front of you all. So um, thanks for your patience there. But, but I don't want to minimize the importance of chapter 16 and the greetings that Paul gives. In fact, I want to start there with you because this is so important. This isn't just an extra thing. This is fundamental, foundational to, I think, what Paul is communicating to us in the book of Romans, of what the good news, what the good news of Jesus does in our lives, because there's a real impact, there's real transformation, transformation, there's real change that takes place, and Paul's going to be modeling that through relationships, relationships. We sang about love, and we've talked about in Romans chapter 12 all the way to this point that the, the, the goal of the gospel is really to produce love in our hearts, in our lives. And we can only love once we've been loved. And so God loved us first. He chose us not based on our good works or what we've done. He chose us while we were yet sinners. And he demonstrated his love to us through Jesus on the cross. And, and so that radical, powerful love that we encounter in Jesus changes us and that's what we see here with Paul as he goes through and he talks about people real people people that he worked with people that he shared the gospel with people that he got to stay with eat with and I think even play with <laughs> you know Paul we think of you know we see his passion for the gospel but I'm sure they had good times together spending time together doing things together but as he talks about these people, we get to see a window into the power of love in the body of Christ. I just want to share a few tidbits out of these verses um, that are kind of interesting. In verse 22 uh, of chapter 16, we meet a guy named uh, Tertiatus, and it says he wrote this letter down. And he greets you in the Lord. So that means that Paul dictated the letter of Romans and Tectoriatus was a scribe. And so he was writing this letter down and he gets the, his little input into the letter, right? So I greet you too. It's kind of interesting. The second thing I want you to just <clears throat> be aware of is Paul's plan 
was ultimately to go to Spain. And so he wrote this letter saying, I want to really see you. And we see that in verse 24 of chapter 15 that Paul was going to Spain, but on his way, he's hoping he can stop in uh, Rome and visit the church there. The other thing I want you to just be aware of in chapter 16, verse 1, he talks about his sister, the deaconess, uh, Phoebe. I think that's how you pronounce it, Phoebe. And she is actually delivering the letter. So she actually traveled, and it tells us from where, Cancrea, which is a port city in Corinth, so kind of in Greece. And she actually traveled from that area to Rome, and she was physically carrying the letter to the Roman church. Kind of cool. And so Paul says, receive her well, you know, give her whatever she needs. She has been a huge supporter of the mission, of the work that God is doing of the gospel. And so just some interesting observations. We're not going to spend a lot of time on those things, but it's just interesting to observe as we go through, and it kind of gives flavor, um, um, context to what we're reading about today. And so where I really want to spend some time this morning is talking about this value of relationships. Paul demonstrates his value in this letter, and not just this letter, all his letters, he ends with greeting specific people, particular people, people that he loved and people that loved him. One of our values here at Rimrock, one of our core values is relationships, and that's not by accident. That is fundamental to who we are as the body of Christ, and we didn't just make that up. That was revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. Now, I've often said that we can get, we can get sidetracked sometimes about the nature of the church. Um, we can think it's about this building, and this is a beautiful building that God has given us to gather in, to worship in, and we're thankful for it. But I've often said if tomorrow, if there's a storm that comes by and this building is utterly destroyed, and I hope it's not, but if that happens, we don't cease being the church. Our identity is not in our building. Our identity is not in our organization. Not even me being a paid pastor or other paid pastors or how we are structured, organized. That is good, important stuff that helps us, but it's not fundamental. It's not intrinsic to who we are as the church. So what is intrinsic to who we are? What we sang about this morning, Jesus, (laughs) The gospel, the, the Bible says that Jesus is the head of the church. The gospel, our faith in the good news of Jesus becomes our unity. We're united. Remember, Paul says we have one faith, right? One baptism. And so it's our shared belief in the good news of Jesus. But part of that, what makes us the church is our love relationships, our shared identity as sons and daughters of God's. And so what binds us together is God himself and our faith in him and our relationships together. You see that that is what makes the church the church. And so it's not the building, it's not the organization, it's our shared faith and our relationship with one another. That's why the Bible spends so much time talking about love. (laughs) Because what's going to unite us Because if we take a poll here, there's more things that would divide us. We have different opinions about lots of different things. 
But if we have together encountered the grace of God and the gospel and the good news of Jesus, and if we realize that God is making us new and that he's produced in us this amazing love, and we look at each other and we see each other as true brothers and sisters, bought and purchased with the blood of Jesus, and so we become, in a sense, blood brothers and sisters because of Jesus Christ. That is what binds us together. That is what unites us. And that's why Paul said in as the beginning of this section in chapter 12 and 13 that we are marked by what? Humility and love for one another. Because when you have humility and love, you have unity. You have unity. And our purpose together is the purposes of God. And we see that in Paul saying, if this identity is so much part of who we are, then we are convinced that we are marked by this identity and it becomes part of everything we do, whether you're, uh, uh, any role you play in this life, whether you're a teacher or dentist or stay-at-home mom or, or whatever you do, the gospel is at the core of your identity and that identity flows from who, from who you are. You can't help but talk about the love of Christ. You can't help but share the good news that Jesus has rescued you, that has forgiven you, and that he is rescuing and forgiving others who will believe in his name. And so we become, in a sense, as Christ said, the fragrance of God, of Christ in our world. As Jesus said, you are light, you are salt. And so wherever we go, we, we share that good news, that what Jesus referred to as the kingdom of God. We become ambassadors. That's another term Paul used, that we become carriers of this incredible message and this incredible person of Jesus, of who God is. And so if this becomes our identity together as the church, then what holds us together is our love for one another, our love for one another. And we see that in what Paul is doing here. He is naming people that he loves and that love him. These are relationships. And so we become known by our love for one another. Jesus said, how will the world know that we are his? By our love for one another. And this, my dear friends, is why it's so important, why forgiveness and grace and humility towards one another is so important, why it's worth wrestling through the hard stuff together the, the conflicts together, the misunderstandings. It's, it's worthwhile to work through those things together because it's, there's more at stake. It's, it's God's glory. It's God's work. It's God's purpose in us to make us one, to reflect the powerful, transforming love of God. And so these relationships become central to who we are. And so... I was thinking this week as uh, we gathered uh, to pray with some of the elders and, and last week we, we were in Romans talking about the, the mission of God and, and how we in a sense are carriers of the gospel. We take the gospel wherever we work, whatever we do. We have different callings, particular callings, but we all are identified with the gospel and so we, we share it. We're unashamed of it. And we were praying with the elders for many of you, praying particularly for businesses in our community because 
God has equipped and gifted many of you to, to work in different industries, and we were praying, and, and one of the elders just began to pray for individuals by name in our church, and with great love and passion. And, and he didn't know where we were going to go this week, but I thought, wow, what a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit. As he labored in prayer for many of you, praying for your business, praying that God would use many of you in your places of influence and work for the cause of the gospel and for the blessing of God to, to flow in you and through you. And that is in a sense what Paul is doing here as he names people, he's reflecting what the gospel does. It creates community, <laughs> community. Loving relationships, one for another, thinking more highly of each other, rooting for each other. And so that's, I think, what Paul is, is modeling for us here. Then there's something else that we need to look at in verse 17 of chapter 16. I know we didn't read this, but Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teachings you have learned. Keep away from them. So Paul is, has a warning for us. If relationships are so foundational, fundamental to who we are as the church, then we have to realize that Satan, what's he going to attack? What's he going to try to destroy? Our relationships. <laughs> he, he's going to work overtime to try to cause divisions and, and conflicts and, and try to cause false teachings. And what he's warning here in verse 18, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites by smooth talk and flattery. They deceive the minds of naive people. And so one of the, one of the important things that God has called the church to is to guard the gospel, guard the good news. Because God has revealed this to us in, in the book of Romans and many other letters in the New Testament that reveal to us the purpose of God in our world, that reveal to us what God wants to do in our lives. But Paul is saying there are people who don't understand the gospel, who will try to come into places of leadership or try to infiltrate the church, and what they will do is they will actually cause division, and they will lead people astray from the good news of Jesus. And I just got to say, as a pastor, the reason we talk so much about not just hearing the Word of God here on Sunday morning, but, but we have study guides and we encourage you to get in small groups and to really study the Word of God for yourselves, to, to dive deeper into this, is so that when you hear what I'm saying or any other teacher or speaker is saying, you can look and compare that to what God has revealed. And if there, is, if there is distortion or false teaching, you can, you can recognize that. You can discern that. You can see that that's, that's not the good news. <laughs> that's not what God has revealed in Jesus. And you can recognize that. And you can call that out. That is so important. Paul is writing this not to just the pastors. He's write, writing this to the congregation, to the people and the church in Rome. And we talked last week about how one of the great truths of the gospel is the priesthood of all believers. Every single one of you is a priest, meaning you have direct access to God. You can pray and hear from God and, and listen to what he says through his word. You have direct access. You don't have to come through me or any other man or person. And so 
as we think about this, one of the things that Paul warns us is that people might try to come in to cause divisions and conflicts. And they're motivated by what? Their own appetites. Their own appetites. And so he's warning us that people who aren't filled with the Holy Spirit, who have the flesh, they can be motivated by greed or lust or other things and try to bring division and to bring people after them instead of Christ. And that, my dear brothers and sisters, is something we need to be very careful with because as I look out at the landscape of the church in America, I see many people going after different leaders or pastors or people, and my heart is broken because many of them are being led astray by the love of money, the love of the desires of the flesh, whether it's sex or food or other things. And so we have to be so careful. The focus of the faith is all to lead us where? To God and his glory. That's why we don't follow a man. We don't follow personalities. We follow Jesus. And God will use different people. He will use different pastors or people in our lives in, in, in incredible ways, different teachers, people in the church. That, that's good. But who do we follow? We follow Christ. He's everything for us. He's, he's our only shepherd, our only leader. He's the only one who can heal our souls. He's the only one who could supply everything we need. And so we have to keep our focus clear. We have to understand what the good news is. We have to understand the gospel, and we have to be careful. And so Paul is saying these relationships are fundamental, intrinsic to who we are as the church. But in that, we have to be careful. We have to guard against division and, and, and false teaching and things that might divide us and cause uh, uh, and, and this is what Paul says. He says, I rejoice because of you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Isn't that a good word for us? Amen. Okay, let's keep moving. The second thing that Paul is going to be talking about in these verses is he's going to be modeling the grace of God in giving, in giving. Money's a hard issue to talk about because money, as Jesus said, is a, is a, has a direct correlation with our hearts. It's very personal. It's very close to who we are. Um, money uh, is a danger. Jesus said, watch out because wealth and money can lead you astray. God, he said, God will not share your heart with money. You have to choose. Jesus, Je Jesus didn't have very many statements like this, but one statement he said emphatically was, either you will serve God or you will serve money. And Jesus said it's very difficult because money can become a stumbling thing for us. But it's not bad. God has blessed us with resources, and God is the giver of every good thing. And so the Bible doesn't say money is, is evil or wrong, but the Bible warns us that because our hearts are bent towards sin, that it can take a place in our lives that isn't healthy, that isn't good. And so as Paul is going through here, he's talking about his plan to go to Spain, but he's going to stop and he says, I'm going to ask you to assist me on my journey. So what Paul is saying is, in, is inviting the church, will you partner with me financially in this mission trip <laughs> to Spain? And then he goes on to talk about giving in the churches in Macedonia and Achaia where they gave special gifts to take 
to the church in Jerusalem. So what you see is the churches are collecting money, collecting resources to share, to give for the work of the gospel and to share with those in need. And so Paul here is saying part of the transformation of the gospel is the grace of giving. He doesn't do a lot of teaching here, but he models it. He models it and says this is part of our worship. This is part of the Christian life is to be givers. Um, There's so many verses that we could talk about with giving. But I think one of the things that most um, impacts me in this area is Jesus said where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And so giving is a way for us, as we sang this morning, if we really believe (laughs) that God is our Father, that, that Jesus is our Lord and our Savior, if the Holy Spirit is present with us, if we believe everything that he has revealed to us, that he is our provider, he's our treasure, then we can trust him with our money, with our resources. We can trust him. And we can demonstrate our faith in him by giving up control of our resources. (laughs) And that is evidence of our faith and our trust in God. And the Bible presents giving not as an obligation or a duty. And I love in the New Testament that it no longer is mandated that we tithe. Rather, we are called into this generous relationship with God. As God has been generous with us, as he's poured out his blessing on our lives, we get the privilege of being generous to others and to God's work. And so we are blessed And that's why Paul says God loves a cheerful giver, a cheerful giver. Because our faith and our trust in in God is so great and because we know who he is, he's our father and we are his children. He has all the resources in the world and because of that, we can give. And I have to say, you know, over um, the years, I've seen people be incredibly generous, give incredible amounts of, of resources. But I think probably the biggest impact on me personally has been watching people with very little resources give generously with great joy. And Paul uses the example of the Macedonian Christians here. And he says in 2 Corinthians that the Macedonians were going through an incredible trial. He says they were in deep, deep poverty. That tells me they weren't sure they were going to have supper. I mean, that's how bad it was for them. But he said... Out of their deep poverty, they gave generously. And Jesus, what did he say when he was at the temple? It was the rich people coming with their big bags, but what caught his attention was the woman who gave her last penny. And I don't know about you, but when I have more resources, I find it harder to give. (laughs) I don't know why that is. But I remember times in my life where I had very few resources, and at times... And I, in those times, there was, um, it was easier sometimes to give. But I think what God is reminding us, whether we have lots of resources or little, is it's not the amount we give. What God is looking at is, is our trust and our love for him. And we give because we've received from him. And God uses those gifts for what? As Paul says, to take care of those in need, to, to propel the work of the gospel. As we think about here at Rimrock Church and as, as you give to the ministry of this church, of the gospel that, that we seek to, to proclaim here in the Black Hills, 
as we support mission activities around the world, as we uh, look at our own community with our downtown, and as this fall, as we do a fall fill-up where we're going to bring our resources together to bless Love, Inc. We're going to bring those to, to bring blessing to our community, to those in need in our community. As we give, let's look at Paul's example. We give because of what God has given us. <laughs> we're not obligated. We're invited into the, 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 the blessing of giving, into the joy of giving. And so Paul models this, this grace, this, this transformation that God does in our lives. The last thing I want to look at you, with you this morning is prayer, the grace of prayer in the community. In verse 30, Paul says, and this is probably, uh, there's a few points in the letter where Paul is like so passionate. He's like, I urge you. <laughs> And you see that in a few places through this letter, like, I urge you. If, I could just hear Paul pleading with the church. And he's pleading with his brothers and sisters for what? For prayer. For prayer. Paul, Paul, Paul was a dynamic guy. I mean, this guy, God used to bring the gospel to difficult places. I mean, he was beaten. He was imprisoned. He went through all kinds of stuff. Think about what God had used him to do. But Paul is keenly aware that the power was not in him. Where was the power source? In God. <laughs> Paul recognized that this work of the gospel was impossible on a human level. That this was a miraculous move of God through the Holy Spirit. And if Paul recognizes that, how much more do we need prayer? <laughs> How much more do we need to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit in our day? And he invites the church. He says, join me in my struggle by praying to God with me. And I love what he says. He says, by the love of the Spirit. I love this. Because if the gospel is true as we, as we believe it with all our hearts, and we believe that we have direct access to the creator of the universe, that God himself is present with us and he is our father and he's good he's a good father the kind of father like in the prodigal story of the prodigal son who ran to the prodigal son and embraced him and loved him if he's that kind of father then prayer is one of the greatest privileges we have and that's why he says by the love of the spirit if you have experienced the love of God, where else would you want to go than to be with him? The call to prayer, my dear brothers and sisters, is one of the most important, beautiful privileges we have as Christians. There's, there's nothing more important that we can do. I mean, we, we could try to do tons of programs, tr tons of different things as a church. We could have the energy. But if we miss prayer, we miss something vital. I love what Martin Luther says, is I, I, I'm too busy not to pray. <laughs> you see, every man and woman of God realizes that the power source is not in ourselves, it's in God. And it's only in prayer that we experience the presence and the love of God. And so I, I just want to urge you, like with Paul says, I urge you, Rimrock, may we be a people of prayer. We need to be a people of prayer. We don't have what it takes on our own. If we're going to be the kind of church that, that does the things that God wants us to do in our community and around the world, that's only going to happen by total dependence and reliance on God.
We have to turn to him. We have to come to him. And we have to pray for each other. That's why Paul says, join me. And that's why we pray for each other. We take time in our week to think about those we know, those relationships that we know in this body or even in other bodies in our community. We pray for people. When people are, are, are struggling, we're praying. We're on our knees. We're struggling with them. We're joining with them. When we send missionaries, like I think of this morning, I was thinking about the Spains who we sent uh, into Asia as they are right now trying to get started in a ministry in China. We join them in the struggle of sharing the gospel in China. We're with, there with them. We can't be there in person, but we're there with them in, in our spirit, and we're, we're joining with them with the Holy Spirit in their prayer. And then lastly, in verse 33, Paul says he wants to come to them with joy, and he wants to be refreshed. But verse 33, I don't think is just an empty um, greeting or statement. He says, the God of peace be with you all. Amen. And I think this is the most important thing with prayer, that we get to experience God's presence together. God is here. (laughs) The creator of the universe, the creator who created you, who knows you better than anyone else. He knows you, and he's with you. And so prayer is an invitation to that presence. And I like what Andrew Murray says as the worship team comes up. Prayer is the quiet, persistent living of our life of desire and faith in the presence of God. Where's your desire? (laughs) Has the gospel, has the goodness of Jesus so transformed your desires that you want to live with God? That your desire and your faith is in the presence of God, the love of God? And that, my dear brothers and sisters, is the invitation I believe God wants to make to us again and again and again to come into his presence.